This podcast is made possible through donations from listeners like you and our partners at Tallman Equipment, where they pride themselves on equipping their customers with the tools they need to get the job done right. They are dedicated to set the standard for quality, convenience, and reliability. At Tallman, your opinion is important to them. Rate and review any product or tool you've used on their new website at tallmanequipment.com. Line 11 Clothing Company. Making apparel for our first responders with a positive message to patriots that you can be proud of. A proceed of the cost goes to helping our foundation ignite the fire for father engagement. Give them a follow at Line11Clothing on Instagram. And last but not least, Monzingo Knives. Each knife is created with craftsmanship that only a tradesman could provide. Find them on Instagram at Monzingo Knives and get your American-made Monzingo knife today. Hey guys, welcome to the Show Up Dad. This podcast is created for hardworking fathers. At the Show Up Dad, we recognize that fathers providing for their children is certainly important. But when men truly understand their unique role and gain the knowledge and skills to be great fathers, they can transform and impact future generations. Our guests today is Ellen Smith and Jessica Midkiff. Ellen serves as the Executive Director for Saving Innocence, an anti-human trafficking community-based organization focused on the recovery and restoration of child victims of sex trafficking. Based in Los Angeles, Los Angeles, excuse me, Ellen has responsibility over direct services and business operations. And our other guest is Jessica Midkiff. Jessica is a true lived experience expert. She has survived 10 years of commercial sexual exploitation, as well as having spent over 10 years of advocacy work helping victims escape and recover. Jessica was instrumental in piloting many of the programs still used today, which help trafficking survivors exit the life. Now, both of these two unique persons came on this show, and I just want to have them share their experiences and just bring awareness to fathers out there about this horrific crime. Welcome to the show, guys. Oh, great. Thanks for having us, David. We're, we're happy to be here. Absolutely. Hi, Jessica. How are you? Good. How are you? Really, really good. Okay, guys. So I'm going to go ahead and read some statistics real quick that I took from your website. I thought they were pretty fascinating. That way, the guests kind of get boomed up on what's going on. Um, it is said that human trafficking is the modern day slavery. The average age of entry is 12 years old and 45 million enslaved worldwide. 300,000 children enslaved in the U.S. alone. Human trafficking cases in every zip code and men are the primary perpetrators. What are some of the harsh realities facing these vulnerable populations, to these criminal enterprises, Ellen, if you don't mind telling us? Well, the harsh realities, uh, you know, it stems from we, you just mentioned and that you read that the primary perpetrator is, is men. And the harsh reality is that so many men and so many dads are looking the other way and they have abdicated their responsibility in their own families and in their own communities. And the harsh reality is that there's predators out there looking for our children. You know, just recently I saw something on the National Geographic thing that reminded me there was some shot out in the jungle somewhere and there's a lion and, and what does that predator do he he sits downwind undercover in the deep bushes and when the little herd of whatever goes by he doesn't pounce on the big strong confident one he pounces on the weak slow one and that's that's his prey and so dads we have a critical job in instilling confidence and strength in our young ones primarily our young girls and your presence is critical 
uh, because the harsh reality to answer a question is there are predators out there. It's an unsafe world and it's heartbreaking because um, the most vulnerable are, are their prey. Mm-hmm. I like that. Just kind of like to get your perspective on that as well, if you don't mind, from a woman's perspective. Um, it's pretty much aligned with Alan. It's hard to always follow up behind. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But, uh, you know, just, there are so many different vulnerabilities, especially in like today's times, you know, with all the technology and everything. Um, one of the things like Alan spoke on with the lion, you know, in the jungle hunting, you know, the prey, um, you know, one of the big things too, is like a lot of these predators are hiding in plain sight. Mm-hmm. You know, they just camouflage and mask themselves like the lion getting low, like Alan said, into the grass. But mm-hmm. the lion's right there in their faces. They just can't really make it out. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Um, and so it's just like, you know, parents, I think, need to just kind of be aware of what's going on and kind of step outside of the bubble, you know, that society's kind of formed. We understand that this is a whole subculture, but it's bleeding over into mainstream culture, mainstream society, and our kids are at high risk and young adults are at high risk as well. So, I mean, exploiters, I've seen an exploiter take up to five years to groom a young lady that came from a good family. He sat and he waited and he took the time like that lion said, like that Alan said about the lion in the jungle. And when he finally saw his opening, he took it and she went through years of exploitation. So it's like, we have to be aware. It's not always the swift quick moving predator Mm -hmm. sometimes it's that waiting you know i'm gonna sit and wait and i'm gonna wait for my time and i'm gonna get this kid i'm gonna get this person to do what i need them to do um so just kind of piggybacking off of alan i find that it's it's crazy because it's so sadistic you know when you really think about it you, you see these people you know and you're talking about these predators right and they're grooming you know it's 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 obviously it's grooming right um it just breaks my heart to hear that these people would go through so great lengths, that waiting game, just to get what they want. I mean, it, it's, uh, it, it's, it's horrifying, really. Um, I can't even imagine what single mothers, you know, Alan talked about the father, you know, and, and having that presence and being that protective covering. But man, what about the, the single mothers out there who don't have that protection, that covering? out there over their children you know that's got to be scary being a single mother you know Mm -hmm. um you know it it is difficult i think you know a lot of us we go into like this hyper vigilant mode Mm -hmm. especially when we know what's waiting out there and for those mother like for the mothers it's difficult and that's not even the biggest thing that usually moms are thinking of when it comes to their kids they're thinking of like the old school kind of saying of kids don't go with strangers if someone offers you candy or wants you to see their dog or help them find their dog like stay away from that they think about abduction um you know the r word murder so many different things that they're they're not even fully thinking of firsthand like exploitation my child could be abducted and be exploited. But now since we've been doing this work and it's been brought to the forefront for Alan, I think what around over a little over 10 years now um, that we've been doing you know, work uh, mainly focused on human trafficking of children, um, you know, parents are starting to wake up. It terrifies us as mothers because we, not, we are not men, mm-hmm. you know? We are not the, the, you know, the proclaimed protectors and all that. We're not weak, mm-hmm. we're not, you know, like, oh my gosh, I'm a poor little 
you know, little lady that can't take care of anything. Help me, help me, help me. Yeah. But people don't understand that how important the role of having a father in the home is. Mothers, we're strong, we're mama bears, we're gonna fight to the death for our kids, mm -hmm. but we need those fathers for that balance. The man is supposed to be the protector. The man is supposed to be all these great things and teach their children certain things. And for a lot of little girls, the father is the very first love of their life. And Alan can even speak to that with his own child, his own daughter. Mm -hmm. uh, didn't mean to put you on the spot, you know, <laughs> but it's just the roles of mother and father are so important. And to be a single mother, it's so much more difficult, especially when we're in a male dominated world. I hope that doesn't come out crazy, mm -hmm. um, but we need protection. You know, we protect each other. That's how it's supposed to be. Um, Alan, my bad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, and you're absolutely right. Um, I know for my industry and what we do, line work, you know, a lot of the fathers are out there providing for their families. You know, they're leaving, they're traveling, they're gone long hours. And these mothers are having to deal with the home front. You know, I used to tell my wife when I leave, okay, go ahead and take care of the four, you know, and I think a lot of times as fathers, we forget how much we're putting on them. The stress, you talked about how these mothers are out there and they're having to deal with all this stuff. Well, how is their limbic system? You know, I mean, really think about it. I mean, I know for my wife, she was a hypervigilant mama, just like you're saying, to the point where that's taxing and that's stressing on their whole limbic system to where they're always in this constant fight or flight like fear, you know, um, I had a past guest on here talk about how his wife, she can't sleep that night. And he was a lineman too. He was working out in California. And he said that that was one of the things that she had trouble with. She had trouble sleeping at night because she'd get afraid while he was gone, you know? So there's definitely a lot to that, you know, with the father being gone than we think, you know? Well, Alan, men, men and women, men and, I'm sorry, men and women are different. Moms and dads are different. They're both incredibly important in the life of a child, but mm -hmm. they are different. And so those single moms out there working hard, you have our respect and our gratitude and all those things. But when a dad is not there, when he's absent, that communicates something really strong. And, and it could be absent physically, more likely, oftentimes it's absent emotionally, they might be physically present, but they're on their phone. They're, you know, doing whatever they're doing. They're not engaged with their kids and a child can feel unwanted and unloved and unprotected and exposed in all those kinds of ways, simply because dad isn't there. And um, that, that creates an opening mm -hmm. for people with bad intentions. It creates a yearning for something for um, a positive, healthy male interaction and the sadness that's happening right now in our society. And a lot of it with te the technology, mm -hmm. you know, this technology we have is just incredible. I mean, you, in two seconds, you can you know, get to anything in the world and get any information you want. But in those same two seconds, one of these predators is masquerading as somebody with good intentions when the entire time they're grooming and luring in. And so um, it's really critical that both mom and dad, but in this case, on this podcast, that dads really wake up and step up and, uh, and get fully engaged with their children. Mm, I couldn't agree any more than that. Um, it, it, I, I, I was listening when you were speaking, Alan, and um, you talked about social media. You talked about uh, these phones, right? These devices. Now, I had a past guest talk about how men, when they're on these devices and women, right? That what he's seeing with depression, it's because these people are segregated. They're on their phones. That's the new form of 
uh, segregation, right? Or not even segregation, it's the wrong word, uh, isolation. Yeah. Okay. And he's saying that that's what he's seeing now is more and more people in, in the places where isolation and, and depression and suicide are rapid are the places that where they're more sprawled out and disconnected, like, like New Mexico, Montana, all these places where the population is very sprawled out and drawn. Okay. That's because we're relational people. And we need connection. And that's what he's seeing. He's seeing that these, these men now are on these devices they're depressed. It's a steady downfall. And then to tie it back into what you're saying, if they're so consumed and caught up in how they're feeling and, and being depressed and being disconnected and, and, and just continuously on this phone, that's leaving that doorway open for those chids, those kids to have that void that they're going to go and fill. And these predators are going to take advantage of. Well, and for that, for that child, that adolescent kid who mm -hmm. is unsupervised on Instagram and, you know, Snapchat and WhatsApp and Facebook, all the things, um, they're receiving a constant message of they aren't good enough, they're not pretty enough, they're not cool enough, they don't have enough friends, they're looking at everybody else's best life happening, mm -hmm. and there's some kind of a stat, young, young girls particularly, when they're going to post a picture that they're in, in Instagram, I mean, they'll take 30 or 40 or 50 shots before mm -hmm. they get the one that, that's good enough for the outside world to judge them. And it's like, I got to tell you, social media is a disaster for our children. They are being robbed of their innocence, if you will. They're being robbed of their childhood. And we have a whole generation of humans that are growing up not knowing how to interact Mm -hmm. with the outside world in a positive healthy way it's their life is on this stupid little cell phone that that you know creates all this pressure and so now when a predator enters in at the bus stop or the mall or the school and now they actually hear and see a real life three-dimensional human being and oftentimes a male figure letting them know they're pretty and and they're fun and they're beautiful and you want to go to have lunch like they, they haven't had that practice they haven't practiced interacting very much and for that child who's vulnerable and available because her own dad is checked out oftentimes. Mm -hmm. um, that's really attractive. And that feels good and sounds good that there's somebody paying attention to me. And of course, I would like to go to have lunch with you. And of course, I'll be your boyfriend. And of course, I love you. And I'm so glad you love me. And, and yeah, it's, let's have sex, you know, and he offers it and she says yes, because it just seems like the next right thing to do. Mm -hmm. And now they're swept away in this other world. And the other world is one of darkness and pain and destruction, mm -hmm. which Jessica and I live every single day at our work with Saving Innocence. And, and that's what caused the book, uh, Men Fight For Me. Um, I, I say a lot of things in my male voice, but it really is brought to life with Jessica and a number of other really amazing survivors who lived it and they tell their personal stories. And um, it, it comes to life in a way that we're trying to get a hold of men and say, take a look, guys, you need to, you need to pay attention. Mm, no, and you're absolutely right. We do need to pay attention. Um, Jessica, he, he talked about your story a little bit. Do you mind sharing your story here for our listeners, if you, if you don't mind? Sure. I hope they pick up the book so they can read all of it. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but just, uh, I guess, kind of a little bit of a breakdown. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I was very young, mm -hmm. you know, starting at like, I was very young when I began to be um, sexually abused, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually abused. Um, I saw myself as a sexual object because that's how I was treated. Mm. Um, you know, I, I started seeing these different behaviors as I was getting older, but never identified them until, of course, I was an adult and was able to actually do that. Um, but basically, um, you know, I used to use those things that I had learned from being abused to make others happy. 
um, you know, I was exposed to certain things by family members um, and then ended up being pulled into the life, into the streets. And it's not an adventure. Adventure sounds so positive. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, it definitely dark journey or something. It was, it was quite a dark journey. It was a, a journey of like discovering certain things about myself. Mm-hmm. The things that I have survived, I don't wish upon even someone that would qualify as my worst enemy, you know, uh, being abused on a regular basis for, you know, not making enough money or being tired or being sick. Um, I remember even one time, like being forced to work and I got hit by a car and I was being forced to work after that, you know, um, it was like, you know what, you're good. You're fine. Get up, go make my money. Like I wasn't seen as a human being. It started from being a small child all the way up to this teenager where I was still looked at as an object, Hmm. you know, one for, for, for trade and gain, you know, Um, a lot of our kids, like they go through, you know, these exact same situations. And we've actually started seeing a lot more violence, especially with the rise of COVID, you know, things were a little different with, you know, back in my day, like kids have like the, the, uh, the social media and everything. Now, back then we didn't exactly have that stuff. So, you know, things looked a little different. Um, but I guess just kind of fast forwarding is, you know, I survived a lot of different types of abuse. It started from home life all the way into the street life. Um, the home life groomed me for the life that I lived in, in, in this particular subculture. Mm -hmm. And it took a lot for me to escape. And I barely escaped with my life. I had a green light put out on me, um, because I didn't want to work anymore because I wanted to go home. I was a young adult. Um, I had my child already by then. My mother had my child. She was keeping her for me. And um, because I didn't want to work anymore, the exploiter put the green light on me. And a green light basically is you're no longer under my protection because you don't want to do what I say. So people can do every single thing they want to to you. I've had to like jump and tuck and roll out of cars. Um, I've had to like fight for my life physically. I've had to, you know, I mean, run from one place to another. I've had to do unimaginable things in order to survive. Um, the, the mission at the end of that time for me was for me to be killed. Wow. Like if you're not going to work, this is what's going to happen. And a lot of our kids are faced with, with that same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, luckily there was a stranger that helped me Um, and didn't want anything from me. And I was able to go get into a program. I was able to, you know, reconnect with my family, my daughter. I was able to start, you know, making steps in the right direction. And even after going through all that, I still ended up being commercially sexually exploited on a different level because I had no skills. Mm. All I knew was that life. So even before I was so like, so-called pimped, Mm. I was a very abused child. And so that mentality stayed with me almost for my whole life. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? I think, Alan, I think I've literally, since I've been doing the work, I started healing. So it's been over 10 years now, Mm -hmm. but I think within like the last few years, like my healing has sped up and it looks a lot different. I'm getting a lot healthier and I have really good, um, a really good support system. And that was one of the things I really didn't have. I had my grandmother. Um, and she faced her own medical, physical, um, issues. 
So there wasn't a lot that she could do. And especially in the time that I was raised up, it's kind of like what happens in this house stays in this house. We're taught to be quiet. Little girls are to be seen and not heard. Like it was so many different things that contributed to me being commercially sexually exploited. And even if it looks a little different now and there's different types of accesses, you know, it's still kind of along those lines too that what our kids are going through. Um, and so I hope that was kind of clear about just kind of giving a little background on my story was just um, my particular story was I lived a lifetime of abuse. Mm. That was my opening into the life. And there are others that have gotten in that have great home lives and have families that love them. They just fall into different circumstances and situations and it's hard to get out. But that should show you how fluid um, in, their, in, in the tactics, like how these pimps are, mm. is like they, they target what they can, who they want, when they want, and they'll put in whatever work they need to. Unfortunately, an exploiter didn't have to put in too much work for me because that groundwork was already laid previously before I was even commercially sexually exploited. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. D David, if I might, um, if yeah. I could just follow up on that, um, Jessica, so articulate and so appropriate and all those things. Um, I will say this in chapter two of the book, she does go into great detail on sharing her story along with other places in the book. Mm -hmm. and, and maybe just it would benefit your listeners. Um, we are truly talking about a, 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 a dark part of our humanity. Uh, the, the kids that we work with, when Jessica said, I, you know, I had to work or something like that. What is typical for the three or 400,000 minors in our country, U.S. born American citizens, when they have to work, they are forced to be out on the street or available on, in, online. And they are forced to have some some version of non-consensual sex, maybe a dozen times every single day by strange men, maybe more than a dozen, depending on what's going on. Now, non-consensual sex is called rape. So let's call it what it is. Let's 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 be honest here with the audience. Yeah. We have children being raped a dozen, 15, maybe more times every single day. Uh, one of me and Jessica's dear friends, uh, told her story on a video. It's on the homepage of savingandnesses.org. And she said, in her words, that by the time she was 12 years old, she'd already had been raped 4,000 times. Oh my gosh. You start, you start thinking about the reality that's out there. And we have a 911, all hands on deck, crisis emergency in our country and the world, mm -hmm. but in our country, in our communities right now. This isn't, oh, I don't hope that's not going to happen. Ooh, what's going to happen if that happens? No, it's happening right now. And it's been happening. And it is a violent, abusive, hideous crime that's going on at Saving Innocence. We had about a dozen memorial services for children in this last year. Oh, my gosh. Of the kids that we work with. We know their names. We know their families. Um, so, yeah, we're not playing here. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. I haven't not. listened to too many of your podcasts. I'm not sure if it's a little more upbeat, but I'm, I'm grateful that you're giving us this platform. Yeah. Um, because uh, men everywhere need to be aware of this because we have either been actively part of this problem by actually going down that dark road, or we have been passively part of this problem by looking the other way, by not noticing it or noticing it and being too weak to, to actually step in and stop something. All of us men are part of this problem in one way or the other. Mm -hmm. And I'm a man, I can say that. I can challenge us men because we have, if we work, if we actually didn't cause this, all this whole thing to happen, it happened right under our noses. And that makes us every bit as culpable. So this is not a shameless plug for this book um, because we believe in it deeply. 
Mm-hmm. Um, this is not a man shaming book. This isn't a, you're terrible. It's a come with me on my journey, guys. And let me introduce you to some heroes, Jessica being one of them and, and so many others. And it's opening our eyes to this brutal reality and it's providing mm-hmm. action items and solutions. And by the way, the any proceeds benefit survivors of sex trafficking. So man, I need you all to buy a case of these books and give them to every man that you know. And um, you can see it all at fightforme.net. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. This is something that needs to be brought to the forefront. Um, I think a lot of times, you know, it's that elephant in the room that people know stuff's going on, or maybe they're completely checked out and unaware, but it's definitely something that needs to be talked about. I thought it was interesting that I picked up on something that Jessica said. She said, seen as an object. Now, Alan, I wanted to ask you this. How are men knowingly or unknowingly participating in the dehumanization of women and children? Dehumanization is the exact correct word. Mm-hmm. Um, well, knowingly, it's that man who's buying sex. Mm-hmm. It's, it's that man who's uh, casually consuming or addicted to pornography. Yes. Pornography is a gateway and the on-ramp to sexual exploitation. It's, it's and they say the first... Uh, age of, of first exposure is eight or nine years old. Mm-hmm. So young brains who were never meant to see that kind of image, no brain is supposed to see that kind of image, but they're being conditioned in a certain way. So man, if you're, if you're, you know, turn on your computer or smartphone after hours when your wife's in bed and you're looking at some form of pornography, you are contributing, you're feeding this large beast of ex- exploitation and in fact trafficking. Most of the people you see on the screen don't want to be there. They're being forced in some way, shape, or form, coerced in some way, shape, or form. There should be some yellow police tape around your computer. It's a crime scene is what it is. So that's actively pursuing it. And going so far, maybe on a Friday night or any night, going to a strip club with your buddies, uh, that's commercial sex. You're paying money to go into this thing and see a, a sexual situation happening. And then to go so far as actually you know, getting some time with a child or someone of any age in a motel room, in your car, however all that is. Um, we go into great detail in the book, by the way. Um, so that's the active participation in sexual exploitation. Mm-hmm. Uh, passively, unknowingly, you're allowing all that to happen. You're allowing images and, and song lyrics and TV shows and stations into your home. Maybe your children are watching it. Maybe you're watching it yourself, but you're, you're allowing an exploitive culture to happen it's sort of like human trafficking isn't the thing that we're trying to fix. We're trying to fix the exploitive culture that the weed of human trafficking is growing out of. Mm-hmm. And so if we choke it out and the way we choke it out is by having enough strong men to step up and take responsibility. It starts in their home with their own life as they look in the mirror. Mm-hmm. And then it goes into their community and their neighborhood and their city and their street. And pretty soon the world, if we can get enough strong men to wake up and understand that our actions or our inactions are causing destruction and dehumanization, then we can see it come to an end. But just allowing it, watching it go the other way, participating in off-color jokes, participating, passing around things on your phone, little memes with your friends where somehow women and sexuality is demeaned and degraded, that's the, that's the entry-level way where you're just passively allowing it to happen, mm-hmm. but actively is actually personally going involved in all those different routes as well. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. Um... There's a quote in the Bible that talks about destroying the root to destroy the fruit from above, right? And uh, that's definitely something that we need to deal with, you know, as men, 
we had a past guest who came on, talked about uh, from porn to purpose, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Matt Sinkovitz. And uh, he talked about how pornography is just an addiction, that there's something deeper to it. So if men start being able to address these issues, whether it be a, a daddy issue, a father wound, uh, a mother wound, um, whatever, whatever it may be, if you start dealing with those issues, you know what I mean? The fruit of that is going to be no more searching for validation on pornography sites or whatever, whatever it may be, right? It's going to change the outcome and the, the, the direct path that you're going down. One of the things I saw, and I, I remember this specifically, like if it was yesterday, is I was in the military. We were watching pornography. It was the VHSs, right? And uh, that's how we would pass our room inspections. Okay. Some of the instructors like certain, you know, demographics or or women, you know, like say Asians. So we'd put that video in there and we'd put play me. Okay. And that's how we'd pass our room inspection. And now I remember we're watching this, this video with a bunch of guys in there. We're all rank. I was 18 years old at the time. And it went ranged from 18 to 27, the guys, and these two twin brothers came in and I still remember what they said. They came in and you know they're hawaiian so they they talked with that very uh hawaiian pigeon type uh you know speech and they're like oh bro what's wrong with you guys that's somebody's daughter mm-hmm. and both of them walked out and slowly one by one we started leaving the room because we were ashamed at that point we're like wow he's he's right you know what i mean that's it is somebody's daughter you know and that sticks with me to this day and, and that's what I, I spent a little time in the book uh, talking about the fact that, um, you know, why, why are so many men apathetic or just in, uninterested in, in all of this crime that's happening around the world? Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and I want to challenge men. Okay, well, you think it's really far away. It's really not as far away as you think, number one. Mm-hmm. But how about you just get yourself in the mind place? What if the child that's out there somewhere, not so far from you right now, was someone you loved and dare I say your own family member, your own daughter. Now, what would that do? You know? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I have some movie quotes in the book and, you know, I know the movie taken isn't really a great authentic documentary on human trafficking, but I absolutely love Liam Neeson and hit the heart of the relentless pursuing dad. Who's Mm going to stop at nothing to, to get his daughter out of that. Mm -hmm. And I think most men would be that if it came to it. And um, it's not just, the 12 year old abused foster child, Mm -hmm. those are a huge piece of the pie chart in terms of victims. It's great kids who came from great homes or they're way at college. Chapter three of the book, Rachel, our friend tells her story. She came from a great two parent home, lived the childhood everybody should have had, you know, 4.0, star of the Mm -hmm. soccer team, all the things, went away to college, her junior year in college. She's approached by a well-spoken man in a three-piece suit with a business card representing a fraudulent modeling agency hired her on to be a, a, a talent, a model in his agency. Soon as she signed up and gave all the personal information, he looks at her and says, you're going to go have sex in the, in the car with that guy over there. That's your first job. She's like, what are you talking about? She wasn't treated like a sexual object as a young child. She wasn't in the foster system. And now she's caught with this trafficker is going to kill her parents. He now has her home address or her roommate at college if she doesn't do exactly what she says. So all of a sudden, this is my daughter, came from a great home with a mom and a dad, and we got her, we played club volleyball and got her tutors if she needed it and went away to college. We sent her to college. 
she could have been approached through mm -hmm. no fault of anyone's on our side. And suddenly my life is being threatened and now she's being forced to do something hideous. So guys, wake up. This mm. is a, a worldwide and a national problem that is not as far away as you think. Mm, mm, no, and, and you're absolutely right. Um, we're seeing men now, in your, just to touch base on what you said, okay? I, I truly believe that most men would stand up. Um, we see that now even in the, the news with uh, Cain Velasquez, you know, going to jail and, and, you know, what he did, you know. Um, I know so many people that support him right now just because of they're, they're all thinking the same way. You know, this is what if this was my daughter that this was happening to, you know. Um, I just think that sometimes as men, we're so focused on providing for the home that we're checked out we're we're, we're tired we're, we got to work that 24 and 8 we got to do this and do that and what we need to do is step back and say hey man not on my watch mm -hmm. yeah. to my very end all my all to the day i fall you know this is not going to happen on my watch you that's know right. that's exactly right and, and a lot of men are in that mindset but a lot are just asleep at the wheel mm -hmm. you got to wake them up Absolutely. Now I wanted to ask you, Alan, what are some of the various components of human trafficking? Can you share that with our audience? The various components? Yes. Well, there's, I mean, there's the big three. There's the, the buyers, the sellers, and the victims. Mm -hmm. We have a chapter in our book where we, we, we break down each one of those. And, um, you know, if there were no buyers, there would be no human trafficking. Mm. It's, a, it's a supply and demand issue. It's, it's a economically driven it's like anything else out there if, if, if for whatever reason no one else bought another cell phone because there's some new technology guess what apple would quit making iphones they'd make the next thing so the supply mm -hmm. and the product i'm using air quotes for those of you that are just listening to me i don't mean to talk to these beautiful humans as products but this is this this is the it's, it's a business yeah. model it's a business model. The supply exists because the demand exists. And there's a middleman who's the broker. Mm. It's the trafficker who's asserting his ownership over this supply. And he's supplying the market. You know, it's just this crazy. It's an exact parallel to the business um, model that, that this entire world is built on. Those are the main big three components. Um, and they can look all different ways with all different kinds of people. Maybe there's certain demographics that have a, a bigger percentage of that pie chart, but it can happen to anyone and anyone can be a trafficker and anyone can be a buyer. The buyer is not a degenerate guy living in a van down by the river. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he might be, but the buyers are the guy next door. The buyer, the, the, your dentist might be a buyer. The cop might be a buyer. The pastor of your church might be a buyer. You know people, guys, you're listening right now, you know people that are buying sex, I promise you. And so it's very much um, camouflaged and hidden. And that's where we need men to take responsibility and, and step up and, and call, first of all, stop some stuff that you're doing, guys, that might be contributing. But number two, take, some, take a little responsibility and leadership in your community mm -hmm. and talk to your guy buddies. Uh, take them out to breakfast, go play golf, whatever. And, and just broach this topic. Give them all a copy of our book. I hate to come back to the book, but it is a good resource. David. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> I, Jessica could bring all that to life if you wanted, but I'm just saying those are the three main components. It's the, I call them the big three. Mm -hmm. Buyers, the sellers, and the victims, the product. And Jessica, I wanted to ask you on this show, as a mother, 
right? And being a victim and, and, you know, coming through all this stuff that's happened to you. What do you see as, as a little girl looking back, what do you see as a little girl that you were missing in your life? You know, I, I, I don't know if you didn't have a father around or whatever, but what are little girls looking for? Well, yeah. Well, I mean, my father wasn't present, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. um, which made me extremely vulnerable. I think just having the connection, the protection, the love, um, the, you know, that father instilling certain values in within me. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, just little Jessica, whenever I, I think of little Jessica, the first thing, because I didn't have it, the main thing was protection. Mm. Um, it's something really special. I have talked to, I think I've talked about it before, but there's a difference in confidence for daughters that have their fathers versus mm. daughters that don't. And so like, you see me, I'm in, Alan can tell you I'm confident. I, you know, I do what I need to do, but it's more of like this wall or this facade, right. Where it's like, I've had to learn how to be a certain way because mm. I didn't have what I needed growing up. So I had to be tough. I had to protect myself as opposed to a a daughter. Even if she has her father, she falls into exploitation. Nine times out of 10, that child knows I can go home to my father. Yeah. I can be there and he's going to protect me. I can be there and he's going to let me know how much he loves me and he cares about me and he values me. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just, it's a different confidence. I I have, um, I have some sisters from my father that I, I talked to. I connected with some years ago, I think back in my twenties. Um, and one of them was raised with my father and she's so different from me and my other sister by him. Um, not because like, you know, we're just different people but literally going back to that confidence level. Um, I think if more daughters have their fathers and they are literally fighting for them in every way possible. Um, and they're showing them, you know, who they are and that, you know what, no matter what happens, like I'm here, I love you. I care about you. You have someone here that really cherishes you. Like it makes a huge difference. And so like it, even my daughter, her father obviously has not been in the picture. Um, and so I felt as though too, um, I felt as though, I had to take on almost like a father role. Mm -hmm. And just to be very clear, and I know a lot of people will be upset, but I am not a father. I am not a man. I'm a woman and I am a mother. But for me to feel as though I had to take on those extra responsibilities, that was difficult. There are things that I cannot teach my daughter um, that only a father could teach her. You know, So raising a child in that sense is really difficult. Fathers are important in the household. If there is not a father due to whatever type of circumstance, because sometimes fathers can't help be there, you know, sometimes they're taken too soon, you know, they're taken to go home or, you know, they're incarcerated for whatever reason, or, you know, just a number of reasons or, um, uh, you know, like you said earlier, um, working, you know, Mm -hmm. I have to travel to go work or whatever. So a father can't constantly be there, but I think having a healthy male role model healthy men, healthy male support system wrapped around these young ladies and these young men, because young men need fathers to show them how to be men. Mm-hmm. I have friends that have sons and they cannot show them young men how to be men. They need a man to do that. I, I, saying to your, to your viewers is men, you are needed 
at on the front line like come on let's do this let's do mm -hmm. this together i see like the impact it, it definitely has on our children that are without their their fathers and kids need their mothers but they need their fathers mm -hmm. so even if mom and dad don't get along mom and dad are separated divorced whatever figure it out and help to raise your children because they're needed they're the next generation to step up to do everything and what i've noticed too is i see a lot of young people now today even more angry yes don't even know why and then i you know and i have friends that start coming talking and they're like well my dad wasn't here or my mom didn't allow my father to be here or you know it's so many different things and so i go on forever but you know the protection and those values mm -hmm. those things that need to be instilled in our children like that's what's lacking when there are no um positive men or male role models or fathers in the household so yeah mm -hmm. alan how do you, do you just going off of what jessica said right there she talked about having that role model right what does authentic masculinity look like to you? Yeah, that's the, the tagline of our book, the role of authentic masculinity in ending sexual exploitation and trafficking. Authentic masculinity. Um, you know, there's no agreed upon definition of what it, what it means by a real man. Uh, popular culture, song lyrics would say it's the first time you have sex or someone has a lot of sex as a young kid. Oh, you're a man, be a man. Mm -hmm. Or is it a certain age, 18 or 21 or what is it? Um, so years ago, when my son was about five years old, I got together with a couple of buddies and we wanted to give the gift of clarity, as we called it, to our young boys as they were growing up. Here's what it means to be a real man, an authentic man, not a cheap counterfeit man, the authentic, healthy, positive version, the kind of man that brings healing rather than oppression to the world and his community he lives in. And we came up with four pillars. I'll just say them quickly. Uh, one, he accepts responsibility. He accepts the responsibilities that are directly on his. And then, and then maybe that authentic man steps out and takes some responsibility for his community and his, and his town, his city, and, and the world. Uh, a real man leans into responsibility. Uh, he leads courageously. An authentic man, a real man, leads courageously in his family, in his community, with his buddies on a Friday night. He's a leader. Like your, your, your Hawaiian friend stepped in, hey, bro, what's wrong with you? You know, like take that takes a little bit of courage to, oh, yeah. to stand in front of your buddies and let them know what they're doing isn't cool. Uh, he lives a life of service. A real man serves. Again, spoiler alert, guys, this all starts with you and your home. Uh, he serves his wife and his children and his neighbors and his community. He doesn't take, he gives. Hmm. As soon as a man starts taking, he's, uh, he, he, he's disqualified himself as an authentic real man. He, he needs to give and serve his community and his family. And then the last one is he understands that who he is is more important than what he does. Basically, we're focused on the interior, the, the character, the integrity, the honesty, like who you are in your being. He understands that that's more important than whatever it is you do with the work of your hands. You can be a famous athlete or a famous entertainer, or you can work at the corner grocery store. Like we don't care. Mm -hmm. Choose whichever path you want to. That's fine. That's great. Do it well, do the best of your ability, but it's, it's never higher than second most important in your life. Most important for you, the man is to focus on the interior, not the exterior. So we just came up with that. Those four prongs, those four pillars as our working definition. Here's what it means to be authentically male an authentic man. He, he lives a life of service. He leads courageously. He accepts responsibility and he focuses on his interior is more important than his exterior. Now, if we can get enough men doing that, David, yeah. if we can get, a, get, get across the tipping point, this world looks very different. 
Oh, yeah. And there's no room for idiots out there buying sex from children. No, because the, the men around him are going to call him out and say, I'm not letting you go over my dead body. You're going to go to that motel room with that 12 year old. That's there's no room for that. There's no room for all the stuff you see in the news. It's not even sexual exploitation kinds of things. Just all the knucklehead idiots that are out there ruining this world. Most of them are men that are doing it. <laughs> like, yeah. When I say men are the problem, someone says, well, which problem are you talking about? I said, I don't know, pick one. Right, right. <laughs> and there's a bunch of men behind the scenes, I bet you. And so if we can get men to stand up and live in this way, um, and, and guys out there, um, you can steal that exactly as you want to go. I break it all down in the book and give illustrations or or you can swap one out and put a different one you want and like you know a lot of guys are you know have a faith orientation as well as i do too you might want to choose something that's faith related a bible verse or two you know you can choose what you want the, the point is give your sons the gift of clarity help them okay what am i aiming for here what am mm -hmm. i trying to be what am i trying to do here it is and if we can do this um the world will be a better place for sure and that's why I asked you guys to come on here is because you guys are in perfect alignment for what we do at our foundation. Um, you're absolutely right. Leadership starts at the home. And if more men were raising, I mean, one of the things we've been harping on is leading the next generation. Yeah. Okay. Starts at home. You raise up healthy individuals, healthy children, children that are able to think right. And be able to solve life's problems, not doing it for them. I think that's sometimes we think we're helping our children, but instead we're hurting them when we do everything for them. We had a past guest on here that came on and talked about some of his clients. They will actually write essays and stuff for them to get into college. And he said that that was so bad, so bad because you're hindering them. You know, you're, you're basically handicapping them or hobbling them is what he said. Yeah. And uh, that's what we're doing with our children when we're not raising them to be able to be aware of this, this the situations that's going around in the world, but being able to solve and give them a different viewpoint for them to come up with their own idea of how to solve the problems that they're going to face later on in life. Um, Jessica, there's something that I caught when you're talking about, you said that you, you know, one of the things that was going on with you is growing up fast, right? You had to grow up and be hard, right? When you're going through all that stuff. And I immediately, I started thinking about, okay, so if you're having to grow up really quick, our daughters are growing up really quick, right? You're also growing up to do other things. So you're acting like a young adult at that point, which you're never supposed to do as a child. A child should never have to take the responsibility of an adult, right? Now, all of a sudden you're posed or put into this position to where now you're doing adult things. And man, that, that really shed some light on a lot of stuff, you know, cause a lot of times as fathers, like, especially for me, my daughter, right. She's 15 years old. I put a lot of responsibility on her. And my dad did the same thing with my sister, my older sister, I have two older sisters that are twins. And I remember my dad telling my sister, you're in charge, you take care of them, you know, all this stuff. And now even to this day and age, I see her wanting to have control she's always like the, like the mother hen is what we named her you know and i see that even with my daughter you know she acts like the mother hen she wants to dress my boys or whatever because i have two younger boys as well you know and it's like no you need to be a child at this moment you know you're not you're <laughs> you're growing up to be an adult yes we understand that you're a teenager yes but that is not your role your role is the child not a mother you know and 
I think if we recognize that as fathers and don't put that weight on their shoulders for them to carry that they're never meant to carry, that we're going to go a lot further in raising our, our children to be healthy young adults, you know? Yeah, most definitely. And I think, you know, I'm happy you brought that up because I mean, a lot of families do that, right? Yes. Um, I even at one point had to do that for my sisters, you know? And so there's this fine line that you walk because as parents and like living in society, it's like, okay, the oldest sometimes does have to look after the younger siblings, does have to cook a meal, does have to clean up. Like those are the re their responsibilities. But then I think when we cross, where we cross the line basically in that instance is when we're like, you always have to watch them. You always have to be the one. Like we, it's kind of like we have to be careful of like crossing the line of, of making a child, the child an executor versus mm -hmm. being an older sibling. So, you know, it's like, it's nothing wrong with putting those, those uh, responsibilities on a kid to a degree, mm -hmm. but that kid should still feel good enough to go and go have fun at a, a school gathering, at a church gathering, uh, you know, uh, get themselves ready in the morning most times and go have fun, like do what regular kids do. I don't know fully what regular kids do. <laughs> 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 um, right. you know my daughter's the only child so you know we didn't have to do that but she did have certain responsibilities and unfortunately she had some adult <laughs> responsibilities too mm -hmm. because being a single mother there are things that you have to do that you're gonna have to do on the regular it's just wh where do we cross the line like what is the fine line and mm -hmm. I think one of the things we can do so like parents don't beat yourself up but check in check in with your kids see how they're feeling see how they're doing so like you said okay i've seen, seen with my daughter and my sister you know like they're kind of like mother hen this that and the other but also too young ladies women were were nurturers mm. you know, by nature so it's just kind of like hey how are you feeling what's going on picking up on certain things the stressors and that's something too I, i'm happy you brought up because exploiters can look at that as a vulnerability when a kid is like i'm just tired and i just want to get away and they probably cut loose and do things that they usually wouldn't do because they've had to hold on to so much like as adults mm -hmm. like everyone like think about what are some of those things that you've done to just unwind and what are some of those extremes because everyone in their life at some point has had one of those extreme times where they just needed to blow off steam mm -hmm. was it a danger to you was it uh you know did you have like the invincibility factor were you just jumping at the first thing were you just being super impulsive because you're like thank goodness i can finally get out and that's something that exploiters look for in the victims that they're searching for too mm -hmm. so it doesn't have to be it's just an unhealthy abusive environment it could be just everyday struggle everyday run-of-the-mill things but when someone's tired emotionally spiritually physically whatever it may be mm -hmm. that is a great opening for a predator to come in and say hey you know what that's not right mm -hmm. if you were with me i would never do that to you and we have to look out for the love bombing too the love bombing is so huge today like okay. everybody's picking up on it so that's why we see a higher rate of like teen uh teen dating violence all kinds of stuff um you know severe unhealthy codependency just mm -hmm. like all different things so I'm, I'm happy you brought it up i'm not saying like that is just the one thing where kids are going to go crazy but i think parents be aware of how much you do put on your kids but mm -hmm. don't put 
don't put too little on them either because they need to be sufficient, you know, self-sufficient adults as well. They need to be able to navigate the world. So it's finding that balance and Mm -hmm. everybody's not going to parent the same, but I think one of the common denominators is checking in with your kids regularly. Mm -hmm. And it ties back into what you and Alan were saying about social media, cutting that phone off, cutting those devices off. Hey, no, we need to sit down and talk. Let's bond. Let's, you know, that's how, so I, I go a lot, but you know, it's just a number of things mm-hmm. that you can pull from. Nothing's going to be a hundred percent, but I guarantee you, if your kid gets into something, anybody's kid, if they have that established understanding of, I can go talk to my parents. Mm. If you know, um, and I, I'll, I'm gonna cut it short, but I remember one time with my daughter, I used to be kind of a tiger mom. I don't know mm-hmm. if you knew this, Alan, I used to be a tiger mom. So my daughter couldn't get anything less than an A. There were so many things that I put on her because I felt as I was a failure as a child. Mm. So I put so much pressure and strain on her. She was paying for what I had gone through and I didn't even know it. And I remember one day my daughter broke down. I'm sorry if I kind of tear up, but I remember she broke down and she was like, please just stop. Like, I'm not perfect. I can't do this. I'm not always going to get an A. Like, why is this not good enough? Why am I not good enough? And if I didn't, if I didn't tune in and smarten up quick, I was going to lose my daughter. Yeah, She was going to go somewhere else. And I wasn't abusing her, but I was putting so much expectation on her. And, you know, I started celebrating the bees and I'd be like, okay, girl, you hitting a C. I see that you trying, but let's pick it up a little, you know? Yeah. But it was like, I started accepting and talking and processing and her and I ended up having a way better relationship and she could come talk to me. Yes. when something did happen so it's like we're not none of us are without sin in this instant it's just how we approach it with our kids moving forward that potential situation can save your kid's life yes you know. so. absolutely and i can't agree more with you um i've had so many men i've talked to where they're hypercritical with their daughters to the point that they drove them away and to the point that they ran into the arms of another woman or a, another man um trying to f- fill that void that they had inside of them, you know, that unwantedness that they felt that their father, they were never going to be good enough. That perfectionism. I I felt that too, even with uh, my own wife and my own daughter, I put so much on them where they thought they had to be perfect. And I reckon, like you said, I recognize that, you know, and I was able to be at a point where I was listening to them. Cause a lot of times as men, we don't listen, you know, we truly don't understand how to listen. We want to solve the problem out of the way. We want to get enough information so we can go right into problem solving mode, right? So we need to sit back and be able to listen to both our wives and our daughters and our sons as well, you know, and just be present for them. And that's what this whole foundation is about is being able to bring awareness to fathers that, hey, man, your role is more than just a paycheck. I harp on that so much, but it's absolutely true because I, I like you, you know, I'm, I'm not perfect either. And I put these expectations and when they don't meet those expectations, you're the one who's going to be let down and you're going to drive that wedge between your family. You know, um, with that being said, Ellen, what is one thing you could tell our, our fathers right now, our listeners to be looking out for um if you don't mind yeah we've heard over and over again that these kids that get 
lost in this, you know, this hard life and really even kids that don't, mm. um, they're not running um, to something, they're running from something. Mm. And so if you feel like you're losing your daughter, or your son, um, now they're going to have to make their own choices. And I'm not saying it's all on you per se, Yeah. but typically when a child runs away, either physically runs away or maybe emotionally, if you will, um, they're, they're running, they're running to something else, excuse me, they're running from whatever's there and they end up in a place that they didn't know existed mm -hmm. for a person that has bad intentions, who's preying on all those vulnerabilities. So I would say to you, dads, your, your little boys and your girls desperately need you in their life. They desperately need a quality version of a man because they're inundated all day long through every news source, media source, social media source of counterfeit, uh, brutal, diminished pictures of masculinity, of manhood, and they need to see the real authentic thing up close. And, and you're the only one that can do it. Mm -hmm. I like that. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And Jessica, you have any parting uh, words you want to say to our audience or anything? Thank you for listening and mm -hmm. just take this with you is just think of the child or the person, the, your mother, someone that you love so deeply and imagine that someone is trying to do something harmful to them, even if it's not exploitation, just anything. Mm -hmm. um, and just think about what is it, what lengths would you go to, to protect that person that you love so deeply? And whether it's picking up some literature, the Men Fight For Me book or, or other literature, um, going to savinginnocence.org, we have a lot of information on our website where you can learn how to, about all this stuff, um, you know, standing up and saying something, you know, protecting just whatever it is, get involved. And one of the big things is too, is men, we're not looking at you, that you, like you, at you guys, like you guys are you know, gods and you guys can do no wrong or you guys can't do any right. Mm -hmm. We're simply saying, just be a part of the solution. Pick up the book, read up, do something, get it involved and always know two men that you are loved too. And we understand us women, I'm gonna speak for the women real quick. Us women know that you guys have a lot of expectations on you too, Yeah. you know, and it's really difficult to kind of dig in and open up. And so I just want to say on behalf of a lot of women out here is we love you and we understand that you guys go through stuff too. Um, let's learn to communicate. Let's learn to move forward. Again, go get the book at fightforme.net and also go to savinginnocence.org and read up on some information and just know, get, get informed, inform your kids, inform your family and know that you are loved genuinely. And let's, let's kick some button in this thing. <laughs> absolutely you guys thank you for coming on and once again this is david from the show up dad helping ignite the fire for father engagement thank you to our listeners